Yeah, church, you got me fired up as if God's Word didn't fire me up enough, right? The, the worship that we just experienced together uh, has got me fired up. So, Chris, if I get a little loud, you may have to turn me down, man. Uh, or you can open up the doors and turn me up, whichever one. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to preach either way. Uh, I'm going to tell you, let me just tell you about the Holy Spirit. If I wanted to preach a series on the Holy Spirit, uh, it would take years. I, I don't know that I can exhaust... <laughs> you know, our time just preaching on the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit of God in me, what the Holy Spirit of God does to me, in me, and through me, first and foremost, it was the Holy Spirit of God that stirred my heart and stirred my mind to to hear the voice of God, to hear the Word of God that drew me into repentance. It, It was the Holy Spirit of God that led me to that place of repentance where I said, God, I am guilty. I am a sinner before you, and what I deserve is death, What I deserve is separation from you forever and ever. What I deserve is hell. That's what I deserve, God. But it's the Holy Spirit of God that led me to repent of my sin, which means to turn from it, to, yes, say I'm guilty, but to turn from it and say, God, thank you for Jesus, because I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And he came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for me, for my sins. And he rose from the grave to defeat sin and death so that I might have life full and eternal. And so it's the Holy Spirit of God that led me to repentance and, and gifted me with God's salvation. Now that's what the Holy Spirit of God did for me. And I believe this. I believe if you call yourself a child of God, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God did for you. But, but another thing that the Holy Spirit of God does for me and does for you as individuals is He leads us, right? He guides us. He directs us as individuals. And it's real, it's real easy to get caught up in what the Holy Spirit is doing in me, right? In me. But another gift of the Holy Spirit is unity in the body. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is unity. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who brings us together as God's children brings us together in what is known as the church. Uh, let me tell you, that song that Brother Andy and the praise team just sang that, that we learned about Wednesday night in our connected family groups, it was months ago when that song came out. I, I love Phil Wilkham. He's a, a worship pastor and a, a Christian artist, and, and so I love him. I love how he writes. I love how he points people to Jesus Christ. And so that song, it came out months ago, and and so when we were sitting down and, and, and writing these things out for our Wednesday night connected groups, I, I knew that that song was going to be important, right, for me. And I thought that maybe it would be important for us as a church, as a, as a body of believers, as a family. And, and so what I did was last week when I was, you know, finishing my marathon, I intentionally put that song three times in a row between around 3.50 and around 4.15, 4.10. Because I wanted to know that when I was crossing that finish line, Lord willing, that it would be that song that would be ringing in my ears, right? That this is my God who loves me. This is my God who gifts me and enables me to live this life fully. And it is my God who gets me to the starting lines and through the finish lines. That, that's what I was thinking in my, in my heart. That's what I was thinking in my mind. And I wanted others to to experience that and know that. And let me tell you how God works. Let me tell you about the unity of the Holy Spirit, okay? So Monday night, uh, I was invited to go preach at a a men's revival, a men's conference. 
And I did that. And one of my brothers was there with me. Joey was there. He came, and we worshiped together in spirit and truth. And I got to share a little bit of my testimony. And then Thursday night, I was invited to speak again over at Christ Church at a men's night of worship. And I kid you not, right? I didn't know that the praise team was going to be all different kinds of churches represented, that there were different representatives of churches playing instruments and singing. And guess what one of the songs they sang Thursday night was? This is our God. And, and I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at how God has united us and connected us. Listen, I was in Columbia, right, Grayson on Monday night. I was in West Monroe Thursday night. I was at my house Wednesday night with my, my church family, and here I am today. That is the beauty. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He brings us together as one body, one church, right, to proclaim Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And the victory that we have and the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And so I believe we see that perfectly in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is all about God. It's about how God worked through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's about the person and the works of Jesus Christ. It's about the apostles who were surrendered to Jesus Christ and became His witnesses. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the apostles that they would be His witnesses to to all of the world. But He also told them that they would receive power when who came upon them? The Holy Spirit. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I believe part of that power of the Holy Spirit is the unity that we have in Christ. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand unity. As best as I can tell you, I want you to understand what unity really is when it comes to God's Word, when it comes to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines unity this way. It says unity is the state of being undivided. It means having oneness, a condition of harmony. It blows my mind every week, right, how blessed we are with this praise team. And I'm talking about the singers, but I'm also talking about the instrumentalists. I mean, you got drums over here that look one way, and then you got Mike over here with a little bitty violin, fiddle, whatever you want to call it. I always mess it up, so I'm just going to proclaim that I've messed it up. So I'm going to call it both. It's a fiddle, it's a violin, whatever. But, but it looks totally different. And then you've got these guys over here that play these keyboards. And then you've got these people up here holding a, a little, little microphone, right? None of them are the same, but guess what they are? They're one. They sing one song. They, they move as one. It's a beautiful harmony. And, and that's what unity is. You know what unity is? Uh, a better way for me to explain it because I, I like it. How many of you like jigsaw puzzles? Anybody? It drives my wife crazy. Okay? It drives Marty crazy because I'll spread out on the, on the dining room table and she's like, if we have people coming over, you've got to move that. And I'm like, no, there's other places for people to sit. I love my jigsaw puzzles. And so for me, unity is a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. The pieces don't all look the same. They don't have the same colors. They don't have the same shapes. They're not the same size, right? But they all fit together to create one beautiful picture. And and that's what unity is. 
See, I, I want you to understand something. Unity is not sameness. It's not sameness. Unity is oneness. I, I'll give you another example. Brother Chris is up there in the sound booth. God has given him something to do that is very important with the body of Christ. I'm up here in the pulpit. I'm doing my thing, right, that God has called me to do. We've got someone back here on the camera doing what he's called to do. Listen, we're not doing the same stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. We are one because we're talking about the same person, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're proclaiming to the people the goodness of God, the glory of God, the love of God. And so we may not be doing the same things, but don't miss this. We are one. God has connected us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Chuck Swindoll, I love reading uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll. Dr. Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, because the church is now under constant attack, we need to be good students of unity. We need to know what unity is, and we need to embrace it. And here's what he says. He says, disease can diminish the the effectiveness of one's body. So we as the church must maintain habits of health and a consistent program of exercise in harmony with God's building program. So he talks about how we as individuals, when we get sick, or how disease, right, it it can affect how we live or, or how we move and how we operate. He says the church is like that body. And if we're not careful to embrace unity and exercise harmony, which is unity, then we won't be effective in the world that God's placed us as a church. And I believe we see that in in this scripture. I believe we've seen it already in the book of Acts, and we're going to keep seeing it. Let me tell you what we saw last week, right? They prayed together. You remember that, Acts chapter 4? They prayed together. And the Bible says the place where they prayed was shaken. And, And we get caught up in this powerful physical movement of the place But if we do that, we miss something very important because it also says they were filled, right? They were all filled with who? The Holy Spirit. So don't get caught up in this ground-shaking thing and miss what was really life-shaking. The Holy Spirit of God filled them, filled them all, and gave them perfect unity. As a matter of fact, that's what I want you to understand first and foremost. It is the Holy Spirit who establishes unity. It's not the pastor. It's not the Sunday school teacher. It's not the worship team. None of us can establish unity in this body. Only God can do that, and he does that through the Holy Spirit. Now, what the pastor can do, and what the leaders can do, and what the servants can do is they can embrace that unity. And they can live in that unity. As a matter of fact, I believe it is the church, right? The church expresses the unity that has been established when we embrace and walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So so two truths before we dig in, right? It is the Holy Spirit who establishes unity in the body, and it is the church who gets to express that unity and glorify God. So are you with me? All right, so let's dig in because we got some good, good scripture to dig into. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, the tail end of, of, the, of chapter 4, 
verses 32 through 35 says this. All the believers were one. Do you see that? Now you're telling me they all looked exactly alike and had on the same clothes and liked the same kind of food, right? Is this sameness? No, it is not. It is oneness. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I'm just going to tell you, I want to say thank you, God, for that church that day. What an amazing demonstration. What an amazing, right, description of the body, the church that is unified by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, the Holy Spirit established unity in this church, and this church got to decide. They made a choice. We will either embrace this spirit, this unity, or we'll reject it. It's pretty obvious what they did, right? They embraced it. They embraced the unity that the Holy Spirit established in them. And what I want you to see is I want you to see the fruit, right? You ever heard of this term before, the fruits of the Spirit? I know we like to go back to Galatians, and that's true. That there are lots of fruits to the Spirit, but what you're going to see is that these things overlap. We, we see a lot of those fruits that Paul talks about in Galatians. We see them in this passage. Number one, we see the fruit of unity is oneness, right? The fruit of unity is oneness. We see it in verse 32. They were one in heart and mind. What that means is that they were looking in the same direction. They were thinking about the heavenly things, not the worldly things. And they were joined together by the Spirit, their hearts and their minds, focused on the same thing, pointed in the same direction, moving in the same direction. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. Dr. Tony Evans says oneness means unity with a purpose. If you were to describe oneness, oneness is a unity with a purpose. Do you know that that's what Jesus Christ prayed for in John chapter 17? One of the most beautiful prayers, probably the most beautiful prayer in Scripture is Jesus' prayer in John 17. And I don't have time to tell you about all of the prayer, but I do have time to quote this one. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Listen to what Jesus prayed for, for the believers one day who would trust him. He says this in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about the apostles, the disciples. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be, guess what the word is? One. A three-letter word, a little bitty word in your Bible. But it's so huge. It's a big word. He said, I pray that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know 
that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I'm going to tell you something. If oneness and unity was important to Jesus, and if it was important enough for him to go to God in prayer for, it better be important to the church. I'm just saying, if you ever start getting full of self and saying, no, I want this, I want that, I want this, look at me, listen to me, talk about me, you're going to be in trouble when it comes to the Word of God. Because it ain't got that nowhere. Nowhere as being a fruit of the Spirit. I'll tell you what that is. That's a fruit of the flesh. When it's all about me and my wishes and my desires and I did this and I did that, how does that glorify God? How does that proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you a real quick answer. It don't. It don't. And and I'm going to tell you, that ain't going to be what this church is about. That that ain't going to be what this church is about. We're not going to have that. And and I'm telling you, we're going to pray, 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 pray that God keeps our eyes focused on him. That God keeps our hearts pointed towards him. That God keeps our minds pointed towards him. And we're going to thank God every day for the gift of the Holy Spirit that's called unity. Oneness, it matters. You might be thinking, why would you start with that? Because that's what Jesus said in his prayer. Everything else comes underneath the oneness, the unity, right? So we see that fruit. We also see that the fruit of unity is unselfishness. See, when you're focused on God, right, and you're focused on his kingdom and his purposes, guess what? Guess what just disappears? Me. (laughs) Me. It just disappears. When, When we're focused on God, we start to remember what Jesus said. The greatest commandments is to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it to do what? Love your who? Your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Unselfishness. These people had possessions, but most importantly, their possessions didn't have them. Let me say that again. This wasn't a church that was poor with material possessions. As a matter of fact, they had a bunch of them. But their possessions didn't have them. And I believe that's what's wrong with a lot of us today in this world. We talk about, I got this, I got that. No, 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 no. That stuff's got us. That stuff's got us. Because we start comparing, well, his truck's better than my truck. His house is bigger than my house. His boat's longer than my boat. He gets to hunt more than I get to hunt. I could go on and on. Man, our stuff's got us but not in the early church. They had stuff, but the stuff didn't have them. See, they didn't believe that their possessions were their own. They believed their possessions belonged to God. Pastor Joby Martin, one of my favorite pastors that I love to listen to, Pastor Joby Martin says this. He says, God did not give us all that we have so that we could have all we want. He gave us all that we have so that others might have all that they need. Man, that's powerful. We can say, oh, thank you, God, for all. Thank you, God, I've worked hard. Thank you, God, I've been faithful. God, thank you. Oh, God, thank you. And we should thank God for what we have. But I'm going to tell you something. God don't give you what you have so that you can have all you want and so that your stuff can have you. God gives you those things so that you can be vessels of it to the world in which he's placed you. And I need to embrace that, and I need to understand that greatly. I really do. 
What I find in my own life is that I'm a taker a whole lot more than I'm a giver. That's what I find in my own life. We can't be a church that's known as takers. We need to be a church that's known as givers. We need to be a church that's known for its oneness. And we need to be a church that's known for its unselfishness. Not only that, the fruit of unity is also generosity. And unselfishness and generosity, um, they just kind of go together. How many of you like rice and gravy? Okay, that's good stuff. Anybody here like rice and butter? I do. Man, I love butter. It's so bad for you, but it's so good. But, but you know, rice is just better with, with gravy. It's just better with butter, whatever you put on it. If you like rice and ketchup, listen, that's on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ain't got to be the same, right? Because unity is not sameness. But you get what I'm saying, right? Unselfishness and generosity go together. Listen, it was their generosity that, that fueled, right? That fueled their unselfishness. It was generosity that was fueled by love. It was God's love to them, God's love through them. And here's what they were. They were open-handed with their possessions. Open-handed. In other words, thank you, God, for this, but they didn't do this. Right? They just said, thank you, God, for this. And, and I'm, I'm sure they enjoyed those blessings of God, but they never held them back for themselves. They gave. They gave away. And I love this, and if you're not careful, you'll read through this so quickly that you'll miss it. But it wasn't just oneness. It wasn't just unselfishness. It wasn't just generosity. It was testimony. Listen, the fruit of the unity, right? The fruit of unity that the Spirit gives us, it's testimony. Because throughout the Gospels, what we see is we see Jesus meeting physical needs of people, but ultimately, it was the spiritual need that he met. The church, right, was one unselfish and generous, but the church understood their mission. Their mission wasn't just to make people comfortable on their way to hell. You want me to say that again? The church knew that their mission wasn't just to make people comfortable on their way to hell. They knew that they could reach out and meet a physical need and it would give them an avenue to meet a spiritual need. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. That's what this was all about. They continued. Do you see it? It says they continued to testify about what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they did that with great power and boldness. That's what it was all about. We can get so caught up with giving and giving and giving and meeting a physical need and meeting a physical need and meeting a physical need, but if we don't give them Jesus, how are we any different than any other good organization in our world? We're not called to be some good organization in our world. We are called to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our giving, in our unselfishness, in our oneness. That's the purpose. If that's not the purpose... How are we any different? How are we any different than the world? We're called to be different because we are different. We have Jesus Christ. We need to testify to him. So that's a, that's a fruit of unity as well. Testimony. The fruit of unity is also trust. And I'm going to tell you, this is huge. This is huge. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just think for a minute. How many of you trust at least one person in this world? Just think about that for a second. How many of you trust more than one person in this world. Anybody here trust 10 people? 
Are you having a hard time thinking of 10 people that you absolutely trust? Right? We have trust issues, don't we? I mean, let's just be honest. One of the reasons we have trust issues is because all the lies. <laughs> all the lies that are being spewed by our government, by our media, by our world, even by us. We lie. Right? We tell somebody we're going to do something, then we don't do it. Somebody lies to us. They tell us they're going to do something, then they don't do it. We have trust issues. Let me tell you about the unity of the Holy Spirit. The unity of the Holy Spirit grows this thing called trust. It's a fruit of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit united them in heart and mind. The Holy Spirit united their activity, and the Holy Spirit built unity within the community. I love that. They held nothing back. They gave generously. They gave cheerfully. They proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I I love what Marty Solomon says in the Bema podcast. Marty Solomon says this. He talks about the priesthood, right, and what the purpose of the priesthood was. Do you know what the priesthood did back in this day? They met the needs of the people. That's, that was it. People brought them stuff, and when, when, when the community had a need, the priest was the ones that would go to them and meet the needs. Listen to what Marty Solomon says. He says, these people were not perfect people, but they were obedient people. They knew who they were, and they fulfilled the role of priesthood, distributing materials to all of those who had great need in the name of Jesus Christ. That's who the church was. And so we see, right, we see the establishment of the Holy Spirit, right, the, the establishment of unity by the Holy Spirit. And then we see the church expressing, right, expressing that unity, demonstrating that unity. As Dr. Tony Evans says, exercising, right, exercising the harmony that we have in the Spirit. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a little thread here, okay? Now, we're going we to get a good picture we're going to get a bad picture. I, I hate to do this, but this is Scripture, so I'm going to do, do what the Scripture shows us and tells us. We're going to get a good demonstration of unity, and we're going to get a real bad demonstration of rejecting unity. Watch this. And, and I, wish, I wish the good unity was more than two verses, but it's, it's just two verses. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Man, I wish we had more than two verses about this guy, right? And about the embrace of the Holy Spirit in his heart and life. See, that's what I believe. Barnabas embraces the unity of the body. His name is Joseph, but they all called him Barnabas. And I'm glad they did because it's Barnabas that means son of encouragement. I'm going to tell you, we need more encouragers like this who are thinking of God's purposes and thinking of others more than thinking of self. That's some encouragement that I, I, I want to be, and that's some encouragement that I want to multiply and grow in our community. We see his generous spirit. We see his unselfish nature. And what we see is we see a worshipful, a worshipful demonstration. God, thank you for giving to me so that I can give to others. How many times do we pray this prayer? God, thank you for giving to me, period. Thank you for giving to me, period. 
Man, we need to pray more of these prayers. God, thank you for giving to me, comma, so that I can give to others. That's what Brother Jeff needs to pray a little more often. Thank you for giving to me so that now I am equipped and able to give to somebody else. God, what I have in my hands, I don't own. It's yours. And all I am is a vessel. Barnabas demonstrates an act of what I like to call selflessness. Selflessness. It didn't mean that he thought poorly of himself. It meant that he thought more of others in the moment than he thought about self. Selflessness. I love this. The field was his, but he didn't view it as his. He viewed it as a gift from God that he could use to make sure other people's needs were met. I mean, Barnabas is the epitome of selflessness, thinking of others more than thinking of self. And I'm going to tell you, this made a kingdom impact. It made a kingdom impact, a positive impact. And like I said, I wish we could stop here, but guess what? We can't. I want you to look at Acts chapter 5. Because in Acts chapter 5, we go from a demonstration of worshipful, right? Worshipful unity and vessel of unity and embrace of unity to a whole different circumstance, whole different choice. I'm going to read the whole passage and we'll go back and look at it. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, and by the way, they were members of the church. These weren't outsiders. These were, this was a man and a woman who was a part of these believers. They were meeting together. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back. Ah, did he have possession or did possession have him? Pretty obvious. It says he held back with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, now you might be going, how in the world did Peter know this? Who was Peter filled by? The Holy Spirit of God. So don't think the Holy Spirit of God can't tell you what's going on when something's going on, because he can Peter was leading the church. And the Holy Spirit of God let him know what was going on. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart and that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Did did you see? He didn't say you lied to me. Peter didn't take this personally. He says, That you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to human beings, but to God. And I know this is scary. I know this is devastating, and I know this is hard to comprehend. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. I'm going to tell you something. Sin is serious. That's fine. No amens. Okay. When Ananias heard this, I know why no amen, because you're still stunned at what you just read, what you just heard. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And look at this. 
Don't tell me our sin only impacts us. Oh, no, no, no. Our selfish sin impacts anybody that we are connected to. Look at it. It says, and great fear seized who? All who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Sin is serious, and I'm going to tell you, the fall is quick, ain't it? And I'm going to tell you, sometimes the judgment can be just as quick. It says about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is the price you and Ananias, or tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. She lied. Woo. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband, are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. And here it is again, verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I'm going to tell you, This is hard, right? This is hard to comprehend and it's hard to understand in our self. Self. But when the Spirit is leading and guiding and showing you, it really is not that difficult. And it shouldn't be all that shocking. See, their actions, listen, Ananias and Sapphira, what they did was they chose to reject the unity that the Spirit established. It was their choice. They had full knowledge of what they were doing. Did you, did you see that? This wasn't a stumbling upon or an accidental. Oh, no, no, no. They planned this. This was purposeful, willful rejection, rebellion against the Holy Spirit of God in the church. They knew exactly what they were doing. They had full knowledge. So that means they knew all about the unity of the church, the oneness, the unselfishness, the generosity. They knew all about the preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They knew all about the trust that the people had in the apostles. And they blew it. When they put the money at the apostles' feet, they did so with the impression that they were just like everybody else. You're going, Brother Jeff, you know, what if God told them only to do, uh, 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 we ain't going there. We ain't going to make the word say what we want it to say. We ain't doing that. Now, I'll tell you what they did. They knew and saw what everybody else was doing. No holding back. And they chose to hold back. But they wanted it to look like to everybody else, right? That they were doing what everybody else was doing when in fact they were not. And Peter said, hey, you haven't just lied to the church. You haven't just lied to me. What you've done is you've lied to God. Peter, Peter told Sapphira, what you've done is you've tested the Spirit. You're not testing me. He, Peter, Peter said, you, ain't te- you tested the Spirit. Maybe they thought they could fool the people, fool Peter, but I'm going to tell you, you ain't fooling God. I ain't going to fool God. The, the Spirit led Peter to call them out. And what we see is that Ananias and Sapphira, they are a demonstration of an act of selfishness, right? Barnabas, selflessness, right? Ananias and Sapphira, selfishness. Selfishness is when we allow Satan 
to manipulate us, to deceive us, to distract us, right? And we say yes to him. We have to be careful here because we might be led to think that at least they gave something. Maybe they gave a lot, but it was the lie. It was the lie to God that caused this. Again, Dr. Tony Evans in his commentary says this. He said, Ananias' sin was that he made a commitment to give God all the proceeds to meet the needs of other people. Then he deceptively held back for himself to the detriment of those in need. It was a lie that did not just damage his own life. It damaged the family of God in their community. And this deceit incurred a greater judgment. And Sapphira was complicit. See, what the Bible says is when a man and a woman come together in marriage, they become what? One flesh. Do you see that? One flesh. Oneness. She knew. She agreed. She was guilty. And judgment fell on them. I'll tell you what I see in this passage of Scripture, and we'll close. There will be consequences. Do you hear me? There will be consequences of how we either embrace or reject unity that the Spirit establishes both as individuals but also as a body. If you are one in this body of believers called Start Baptist Church and you are consistently rejecting unity, rejecting unity, you are damaging the church of God in the community He's placed her. Oh, don't call me out like that, Brother Jeff. I'm not. Just read what I just read. I'm not calling you out. That's God's word. When you are a constant source of discord and disunity and division, that is not what God calls us to. If you want more about that, come tonight. I'm going to preach about it tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's amazing how God puts that together. Dr. David Jeremiah says death. Listen to what he says. Death is the ultimate form of earthly discipline for sinning believers. God sometimes uses this judgment. That said, it would be wrong to perceive that all death and all illness is always being divine judgment. God hates death even more than humans do because it is a tangible reminder of the fall and that things are now not what they should be. And that's the individual consequence that we see. Verse 14, right, shows us the corporate consequence of sin. The entire body of believers, it says that all who heard experienced great fear. I'm going to say it again. Sin is serious, and we better view it that way. We better understand that God's judgment can fall at any time, at any moment. Now listen. In the ultimate scheme of things, I have been forgiven of my sin, past, present, and future. It has been paid for by the blood of Christ, but that does not give me a reason to just go out and sin all that I want to because if that's the case, I don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus is not a get-out-of-hell-free card for me on a Monopoly board. He is my Lord and my Savior whom I'm surrendered to. Sin is serious. And we're going to keep seeing that in the book of Acts. I'm going to tell you, we're going to see it. We're going to see acts of unity, and we're going to see acts of division, discord, 
And we're going to see obedience, and we're going to see rebellion over and over and over again, which leads me to say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Because I have been a rebellion. I have been a rebel. I have been in rebellion. I have been in rejection. I've been one of discord and division. But God, I turn from that. And I embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I embrace your spirit in me. And I want to be one of unity in the church body. I want oneness. I I, I want unselfishness. I want generosity. I want testimony. And I want trust. And so my prayer is, Lord, and this is for all of us today. Lord, help us express. Help us express the unity you have established in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and let it be for your kingdom's sake. God, nothing I have, nothing I am, is for me or myself. God, I am your vessel. Use me however, whenever, and wherever you want, so that I can be a witness of the living, the resurrected, the awesome, powerful, loving Jesus Christ. What John say in his gospel? Less of me, God, more of you. You keep pouring me out, but oh God, fill me with you. And I'm going to tell you something. Isn't that a promise that he keeps? The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit empowers us and enables us to be his witnesses. Notice Jesus didn't say, I want you to be witnesses of yourselves. What did he say? You will be what? My witnesses. In other words, you're going to talk about me. (laughs) You're going to talk about me. You're going to tell people about me. You're going to show people me. They couldn't do that in and of themselves. They needed help. And what did Jesus call the Holy Spirit time and time again? Your advocate, your helper. So let's tap into that, right? Let's pray, God, help me. Help me, God, to to stand in and embrace this unity that you've given. And and God, help me every day to express that, to exercise it. I I hope that's your prayer. That's going to be my prayer. And I'm going to tell you something. That's going to be my leadership moving forward. And it just is. And if you're about discord and division, you're going to stick out. I'm sorry, but you just are. You're going to stick out. And I'm going to call you to repentance. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to point you to repentance. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit leads you to that. And I'm going to pray for more Barnabases. Amen? Oh, God, give us more Barnabases. And I, I don't know what the female version of that name is, but whatever you want to call it, it's just not Sapphira. But that's what we need. We need a church full of sons and daughters of encouragement. We need a church full of people who testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need a church full of people who have possessions, but their possessions don't have them. We need a church full of people who are vessels and ambassadors and jars of clay who have been filled with a great, great treasure. Amen?